there, and thanks for checking us out on the Main Question Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Lisnett. In this episode, we take a look at a waste problem hidden in plain sight that has a profound impact on household budgets, the economy, the environment, and the way we make and consume food. It's a problem that has many proven solutions, but due to our habits and the setup of our economy and food systems, it's never really been addressed. That problem is food waste. Imagine going to the grocery store and buying $100 worth of food. When you get home, take $30 worth and throw it in the garbage. That's what happens every day on farms, in warehouses, restaurants, and our home kitchens. Not only is the food wasted, the energy, water, labor, shipping, and everything associated with that food is also lost. Landfill space is taken up more quickly. Disposal costs are going up. Food and food scraps that are thrown out also make climate change worse. And to top it all off, the number of people who are food insecure is on the rise. So the need for food is greater than ever before, especially during a pandemic. Add it all up, more than $200 billion is spent every year on producing and disposing of food that is never eaten. A pretty staggering figure. What to do about the problem? The ironic or the frustrating thing is that there are well-known solutions that could make a big difference. Composting, food donations to those in need, converting waste to energy, storage, refrigeration capacity, and just being mindful of what you buy and consume could all make a huge difference. Suzanne Lee, an executive in residence and instructor at the Maine Business School at UMaine, along with three undergrad students from a variety of disciplines, decided to dig into this problem. She and economics major Peter O'Brien joined us to talk about what they found. As with many of the issues in our world today, it's complicated and requires an interdisciplinary approach, something that's been a bit of a theme lately on episodes of The Main Question. They examined where and how the waste is created and looked at the many achievable solutions that are out there. Well, thank you both for joining us. We appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having us. Maybe we can start here. Can you give us an idea of how big a problem this is? How much food is wasted, thrown away, or otherwise unused in Maine and across the country? The short answer is that it's a lot. You know, the Food and Agriculture Organization estimates a third of food is wasted globally every year. And that number seems to hold consistent at the national level and also the state level. You know, there was a waste characterization study done in, uh, I think, 2012 by the School of Economics, and they found that, you know, roughly around 28% of household waste is food scraps. To put that in economic terms, over $200 billion is spent every year to produce and then dispose of food that's never eaten. When you started to dig into this, did that number surprise you? Yes, I think that that first day that we started on the project and we read the number, you know, what, as Peter said, 30 to 40% of food, like literally food produced is never eaten. I mean, if you just think about that, the quantity, the magnitude, and then what you, when you dig in further, what you find out is that, okay, that really doesn't tell you the full total of the waste. So food produced that's never eaten. Okay, what's the amount of labor that has gone into that food? What's the amount of natural resources? Water, you know, meat, everything, you know, that's a non-renewable, a limited resource, and we're wasting it. So on top of the actual final production, it's everything, energy that went into the production of that food is also a total waste. So it's a terrible, and, and an unbelievable, the magnitude... I think they said it's like um, 150,000 tons per day, or actually the amount of food wasted per person 
is more than the average person weighs. I think it's like 219 pounds a year uh, per person is how much food you waste. So it's, yes. The reason why it's so bad is that people don't realize it. I wanna make sure I, I got this correct. A, a third of every, everything we throw out is food and scraps, is that right? A third of all food produced is, is wasted, is never eaten. In the state of Maine, more specifically, just under 30% of everything we throw out is food. It seems almost a cruel irony during this pandemic when people need food more than ever that producers are having to plow crops under or kill off livestock that can't be processed. Does that make this problem that much worse in the present situation we're in? I thought it was sort of an interesting, we started on the project of food waste and it was already, as you can see, a big um, you know, problem that needed to be addressed. But having our project take place during the pandemic and having pictures on the television of dairy milk going down the drain while people were lining up at food banks for two hours waiting to be fed really actually brought everybody into the problem. So the all the people, the stakeholders that we worked with, the producers, the grocery stores, the restaurants, schools, hospitals, Everybody who was already interested in the topic and in trying to work to solve it became that much more because it was a very visual thing about how our food system doesn't work. One disruption and everything falls apart. Can you talk about how this project came together and what its goals were? Uh, maybe Suzanne, let's start with you and then Peter talk about the student end of this uh, experience. The Mitchell Center is uh, the Research Center for Sustainability Solutions on campus. Their focus is to try to solve big social problems using multidisciplinary or interdisciplinary teams. And so um, when I met with David Hart, because I was interested in teaching sustainability at the business school, they had not really had somebody from the business school involved in one of their projects. And so the start of it was sort of looking for some opportunity to sort of bring a business focus to an issue they were working on. Materials management team had already identified that the largest portion of the waste stream in Maine, so the largest amount of what goes into the landfill is actually food waste. And so they thought it would be a great project to take a look at that specific waste stream and to get that out of the landfill. So, Peter, just talk about how you got involved in the other students and, uh, and what you got out of the experience of being part of it. Yeah, so I think uh, myself and the other students involved, uh, I'll just say, so the other two students on this project were uh, Stephanie Aoti and Katie Timms. Um, Katie is a biology major and Steph is an environmental engineer. They were both, of course, a huge part of this project, um, but they're not here today, so I figured I'd speak for them. Um, anyway, so, you know, the team came together in September after we heard about it, um, heard about this great opportunity, and from the beginning it was... It was really open-ended. I mean, we knew about the work that had been done already by the materials management team. We were just starting to learn what a huge problem this was. And, you know, Suzanne just said to us, well, this is what we want to do. We want to engage stakeholders. We want to see the extent of the problem, and we want to, you know, come up with some solutions. And that was really all we, all we started with, and it kind of just morphed and took on a life of its own throughout the project. So aside from the obvious waste, what are some of the ramifications of this problem and how does it sort of percolate out into other areas, disposal costs, landfill areas running out, cause and effect from, from this entire situation? There are a lot of ways you can look at this problem. I mean, we sort of focused our work through, through the triple bottom line. So there's profits, 
there's people, and then there's the planet. So I suppose we can touch now on the, the environmental costs of food waste as well. Um, I sort of mentioned that that's stacking $20 billion of wasted, um, wasted money every year in the U.S., but in terms of environmental perspective, when food is put into a landfill, it decomposes and, and emits methane, which is actually a more potent greenhouse gas than, than carbon dioxide in terms of um, warming effects. So that's obviously a huge problem. And then if you look at it through the perspective of just, yeah, we're wasting food. And we're wasting food here in Maine in a state where we're the most food insecure state in New England. And one in four children are considered food insecure. And you touched, you know, on the issue of landfill space. And yes, again, Maine is running out of landfill space. You know, there was a study from the Maine State Planning Office back in 2010 saying we're going to be running out of space within 20 years if we don't do something about the amount of food that's going, or not the amount of food, but just the amount of municipal solid waste in general that's going into landfills. And, you know, they said it would cost over $100 million to, to fill the capacity that we need. So there, you can really approach this from any, any angle, and it's a, it's a huge issue here in the state and also internationally. Suzanne, just the thought of the waste itself, I'm sure, is upsetting to a lot of people. But for towns and municipalities, when they start looking at their bottom line and the increased costs, is it surprising that it hasn't become more of an issue to try to do something about this when costs are going up and the problem's getting worse? It's an interesting point, though, because, you know, globally, this is a problem. But it really comes down to the locality and what the situation. And in Maine, we are blessed with a lot of open spaces. So if you talk about urban areas, you know, places like California that's more densely populated, the costs have really come home to them sooner. And they've done things like landfill, uh, organic waste bans from their landfill because the cost of, they realize it fully now, how expensive it is to put food waste into the landfill. Because we have, you know, more space, more ability to sort of absorb it currently, it doesn't appear sometimes as though it's a problem. But it is, and you know, as we go down the road, it's going to become more and more of an issue. Um, but you know, as long as, you know, and this, we found it at the producer level and at the home consumer level. People just think of trash as trash. You know, we, I don't eat leftovers, I throw them away. You know, the producer says, we make too much for the buffet, but we build in the cost. And so it's not a waste and it's not a loss because we make money and the household says, you know, we still have enough money to pay the bills, so we're okay. What they don't realize is if they started to track and measure how much they're throwing away and the cost of that food, they would start to make changes and businesses would. And that you find in all these countries where they start to measure the food waste, you know, 17% reduction the next year in food waste because all of a sudden they see the impact to their bottom line. The state of Maine hopes to get to a goal of 50% recycling next year. Where are we now and how much difference could reducing food waste make in reaching that, that overall goal? I think as recently as 2016, the Maine DEP says we're at about 37%. Um, so obviously still, still ways to go in a short time. And, and I without having exact numbers, I, I think we can all be sure that COVID is sort of a setback. Um, I know many towns are suspending recycling programs temporarily. Um, but yeah, going back to that waste characterization study, I mean, if 27% uh, of household trash in Maine is food waste, 
and certainly by reducing that number, we go a long way towards just increasing our overall overall recycling rate because you know composting, anaerobic digestion, these are these are viable solutions to food waste, and they also are counted as recycling. Can you talk about some of the hurdles? You mentioned sort of behavioral barriers to doing this, but lack of infrastructure, no history of doing it. And like you said, Suzanne, lack of cause and effect to home businesses and budgets. What, what are some of the biggest obstacles to uh, getting this number reduced? From where I said, it really is an awareness thing that, you know, I think for us sometimes as a team, the students and I together, we were so aware of the cost. We were so aware of the problem, the climate change issues, the water uh, safety issues, on and on, that it almost seemed like how can people not be aware and how can they not be changing either on the uh, commercial side or on the uh, residential side. But the truth is that people aren't aware of it. And what you find is education programs really have a tremendous impact. So producer awareness, letting them know that it's actually okay and safe and actually, you know, there are tax credits available and um, that, and another huge awareness issue is food date labeling. So, you know, when you go to the grocery store, and it says best buy this date or you know use before this date but because there's no consistent labeling that's another sort of awareness problem people aren't even sure can i eat it can i not eat it is it waste and so i just think that one of the biggest barriers and where you see a huge turnaround is when you start uh, some combination of awareness through measuring and through sort of just educational campaigns what does the research show are the best solutions to pursue and, and what would it take to implement those? And uh... That's a pretty big question and of course and there are a lot of um, a lot of different areas to tackle and a lot of different ways to go about it. Um, so you know we've been talking about some, some of the barriers and of course there's also just the barrier of uh, startup costs. So if you want to invest in employee training, increased infrastructure for dealing with your waste, just time and labor, you know, that, that costs money. It, that could be prohibitive for small businesses. And, you know, if you take the case of like a small farmer in Maine, they may have, you know, excess crop. They have a bumper crop. They want to donate it, but they've got to pay someone to harvest this crop that they're not going to get any money for. So we've sort of focused in on, on six areas for our solutions. Just to run through them, we want to increase tracking and measuring of food waste at the commercial level. We want to improve centralized donation network to match excess food with people in need. So, you know, take a situation where there's a winter storm and they have to divert a truck that's on the road full of tomatoes and now it's got nowhere to go and they're just going to dump it unless they have an uh, easy way to link up with a food bank. Another solution area was to change consumer beliefs and attitudes around wasted food, as we touched on earlier. Invest in Maine's donation handling infrastructure reduce donation liability and increase incentives, and finally expand access to landfill alternatives. With each of these solution areas, and these really came about as a result of talking to our stakeholders, so the big food producers in the state, both institutional schools and hospitals, as well as grocery and distributors and farmers as well. Talking to them, these all were solutions that made sense to them. And not only that, but we actually worked with them on some steps to how would we implement each one of these solution areas. So we do have sort of the sort of the roadmap for the next step to sort of uh, make some progress in this area. Are there countries or cities around the world that are getting this right or at least doing it better than we are? 
There's certainly a lot of successful small-scale uh, nonprofits and, and initiatives to sort of tackle this issue. I wish I could say there's one country that's really nailing it. Um, maybe I, you know, I can point to South Korea. At the residential level, they actually, you have to pay to throw away food. So every week you collect your food and then you have to go and weigh it before you dispose it and you get paid pretty uh, marginal amount. Even here in Maine, you know, South Portland has done some trial phases with a uh, company recomposted in Garbage to Garden. They both operated in there and uh, they saw some success with curbside, um, curbside composting programs. Um, so there are certainly successful initiatives everywhere. That's, that's one thing we really um, found through this work, but it's sort of a matter of putting all the pieces together. There's a lot of points along the way where this is a problem, starting on the farm, to wholesalers, to retailers, to the kitchen table in somebody's home. How are those problems linked, or does one feed the other? There's wasted energy and cost and energy to dispose of all this all along the way, isn't there? I think that you sort of hit on it perfectly, because what we started out as a food waste project, how do we deal with food waste here in Maine, became a food system problem. Because really what we're talking about and what you're talking about with that is trying to move to a circular food economy or a circular food system so that you're eliminating all waste. Like nothing's really wasted because it really is the input for the next step in the project. So that is really what we're looking for. And not only does it eliminate all waste from the system. So Everything, you know, the spent grains from the beer can be, you know, used to feed the livestock or meat milled into flour to make crackers. Nothing is wasted. And in the end, it creates economic development for the state. It, um, you know, it just has all these benefits and it allows it to for a sustainable system. So I think that that's where we really came out on the waste front is that we should really try to eliminate it and really move to a circular food system. And interestingly, there are lots of good countries in the world that have made, probably a lot in Europe, a few in Asia, that have made advances in terms of food waste. But circular food system hasn't really been established anywhere. And we sort of believed by the end of this project that Maine would have a unique opportunity to maybe be the first place in the world to really get this going. Because we have all the various systems, we just don't haven't linked them all yet. So there's practices, there's uh, making it routine, and then there's things like a food bank having enough refrigeration so if there's excess milk or dairy products they can store that and use it. It's a lot of different solutions that need to come to bear. Yes, yes, but we have a lot of people in the state who are interested in this, both in the government as well as uh, all sorts of nonprofit organizations. You know, it's a, it's, while not the, the normal person might not be aware of this, there are a lot of people working on it, which makes us sort of hopeful that we can make progress. So, Peter, you're an economics major. What did you get out of working on this project? Certainly, it's something that is uh, not a theoretical exercise. Yeah, that's right. You know, overall, it was obviously a really positive experience. Um, I think it was really great how this was, uh, you know, it's sort of a buzzword these days, but it was an interdisciplinary project, um, which is really great because, you know, as I mentioned before, we had a biology student, engineering student, um, Suzanne is a business professor, so really a lot of backgrounds coming to this. Sometimes it might lead to sort of funny situation where, you know, we're trying to write sort of like a technical write-up of a solution we're doing. Say we're talking about anaerobic digestion, and maybe Suzanne will say, you know, that's great, but 
we're engaging with businesses and stakeholders, but are we, what are we going to say to them that's going to convince them this is an issue and this is a viable solution? You know, we don't, we don't need to get bogged down in the weeds. Um, so I thought it was good that pretty much in any conversation or anytime we were talking about these issues, it was such, such a good thing to have a balanced perspective, um, people drawing on different backgrounds. And overall, I was just really inspired to see that there are so many people working on this issue. It's such an overwhelming issue and such a, I mean, it's just a really big problem. And if people weren't working on it, if it was just us against, against the food waste world, it would seem a lot more daunting. So speaking of interdisciplinary, we recently did a podcast with David Hart and Linda Silka from the Mitchell Center about the interdisciplinary work and collaboration that they use to tackle big problems from a lot of different angles. Is, is this a good example, Suzanne, of a research project that is big and needs this kind of approach and this kind of plan? Yes, definitely. There are so many components to it. And, you know, the students, UMaine is really fortunate to have the caliber of students. Amazing sort of to find the expertise. So Peter representing economics, but and really bringing that perspective to the project, which was very useful in trying to understand some of the systems things, biology, you know, uh, Katie brought, you know, a, a biology major and, um, and Steph um, with an engineering background, you know, really did help with the solutions and actually helped engaging with the stakeholders because we had such a variety of stakeholders that kind of that different um, insight was useful in terms of connecting with them. So I think that they're exactly right. And I think we got a lot of respect from our stakeholders because of the interdisciplinary nature of the team that was assembled. If it were just a business person, they'd be like, yeah, you don't really understand all the issues, you know, but because it was a balanced team, I think that gets you a lot more credibility. So finally, for both of you, what are some of the take home messages uh, or things to think about that an individual can do? Is this ultimately a solvable problem so maybe starting in their own kitchen and then moving out to towns or cities, uh, workplaces, uh, putting plans into action that could actually make a difference and, and partially solve this problem. I mean, it all just starts with being being conscious, being aware of what's being wasted in your own kitchen. That may seem pretty obvious, but I think a lot of people don't think about it, and, and myself included, until I was involved with this project. You know, if you're trying to inspire change in your community or trying to find out how, how can we compost, how can we get this food out of the landfill. I mean, I, I would might just say that maybe, you know, see what's going on at your town hall meetings, talk to your select person or your town manager, because in Maine, a lot of decisions are made at the town level and sort of the approach to waste management is different all over the state. And in some cases they seem to have a good handle on it and they, they're using curbside composting, using anaerobic digestion. Um, they're working with local food banks and it's great, but in some cases there's, restrictive waste contracts and issues like that. And there's really nothing they can do. You know, I've encountered a situation where um, a town council person couldn't even discuss the idea of uh, composting because they were basically forbidden to in their contract um, with their existing waste haulers. So that sort of thing, be aware of what's going on in your town if this is something that matters to you and see if you can start some change that way. Suzanne, final thoughts? Well, I think that what's nice about this issue of food waste for the ordinary person is that you can make a difference and you can apply the same sort of uh, technique. So somebody like Hannaford or Allagash uh, Beer, they can very proudly say, 
So Allagash says, in the 10 years that they've been producing beer, they're still, because they so tightly manage their waste and they're so conscious of everything that they do, that they have the same size dumpster that they had when they were making, you know, the first years of production. And now 10 years later, when they've exponentially increased, they still have managed the same ways. I do the same thing in my house. I like, and I make my family do it. Like how little waste can we actually have in our, you know, orange town bags? Cause that actually costs us money. And if we can, you know, not let anything get rotten in the refrigerator, if we can make sure that we don't buy too much at the grocery store, or don't go to Sam's club too often, you know, we can actually notice that we have very little that goes out in the trash can on Thursday. So, you know, you can measure yourself and actually save yourself a lot of money that way. And if everybody did that, just like if every business did that, I mean, that would be the change. Well, it's very interesting and uh, eye-opening work that you guys have done, and we appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk to us about it. Okay. Uh, sure, thanks. It was great talking to you. Thanks for sticking with us and tuning us in. As always, we'd love to have you subscribe to our series. You can do so on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Send us a note or ask a question at mainquestion at main.edu. This is Ron Lisnett. We'll catch you next time on The Main Question.